Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Jeff Kuhlman is Chief Communications and Marketing Officer at Bentley Motors. Jeff was serving as Communications Chief for the U.S. arm of the British luxury automobile brand when he added marketing responsibilities in 2016. Jeff reports to the President of Bentley USA as well as to the U.K.-based Global Communications Director. Jeff is an auto industry comms veteran, having worked for several automobile brands during his career. In addition to Bentley, which he joined in 2015, he's filled communications shoes at Nissan, Audi, and General Motors. GM was his longest stint, extending 22 years until 2006 when he began a five-year engagement as Chief Communications Officer at Audi. He handled jobs from speechwriter to environmental communications for Cadillac, GM Truck, and other divisions. We talked to Jeff about everything from marketing, mentorship, and holding events during a pandemic safely. Now, without further ado, here is Jeff Kuhlman in conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO, Paul Dyer. Hello and welcome. This is Paul Dyer, CEO of Flippy Taylor, and I'm joined today by Jeff Kuhlman, the Chief Communications and Marketing Officer at Bentley Motors, Inc. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, we're, we're very excited. You've been a longtime veteran of the automotive industry, um, having filled communications leadership roles at Nissan, Audi, General Motors, um, including corporate as well as brand roles. So you really um, have sort of covered, you know, the full suite of the industry and not just on the manufacturer side, but also on the consumer side. Obviously, GM appealing to the general public, Audi more premium, Bentley the ultimate luxury. So I'm just curious, like, how do you go about changing your frame of reference when you make these kinds of transitions to ensure you're so understanding and connecting with your audience? Mm, wow, great question. Um, you know, you were talking about the various roles that I've played. And uh, when I originally uh, started my career, I was hoping to go into baseball PR. Um, I was coming out of, you know, university at that time. And uh, baseball was the, the sport that I was most passionate about and, and played for well, since I could throw a baseball. Um and wanted to go in that direction. Uh, fortunately, at the time that I was looking uh, to go in that direction, I was also doing an internship at the General Motors plant in Toledo, Ohio. And um, uh, when I graduated, uh, I was offered the job, uh, a job in the communications role there. Uh, subsequently, uh, not knowing this, but subsequent to them hiring me, my boss, moved from the plant to a division role. And so he went from Toledo, Ohio, up to Ypsilanti, Michigan, uh, as the divisional head of communications and thus started my career. And I guess, you know, it, it, that kind of uh, start is almost a um, immersion, uh, you know, right away, you're, 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 you're dropped into it. Now, I'm at a plant, um, the, the role there was, um, community relations. It was internal communications, employee communications. And um, uh, yeah, how do you stay up? <laughs> For our listeners, that is Jeff's 15-year-old golden retriever we're hearing in the background. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> for the, uh, for the uh, annoyance, but uh, she's, she's just uh, egging me on, that's all. Um, so, you know, as, we, as I look at that that opportunity. Um, there was um, 
great opportunity to, I would say, mature very quickly. I was working directly with the plant manager. I was working directly with the uh, head of human resources. Um, it gave me a great exposure um, at that time within the General Motors organization. And subsequently, I then had the opportunity to move to a divisional job uh, and then from there um, take off into a number of different areas. The bulk of my career at General Motors was actually on the uh, operation side of the business, not the commercial side. So uh, I was you know, working in plants or I was working at a headquarters position uh, helping uh, plants, plant managers, uh, personnel directors uh, in their in their internal communications, their their plant relationships with the community, and with the media relations uh, uh, for those. So, making those uh, you know those early transitions was easy. The big change for me was um, when I uh, the the right before I went into Cadillac uh, with General Motors, I went into an area of the business for um, uh, advanced technology. Uh, so, uh, you know, at, the, at this time. Um, we're talking about the advanced development of fuel cell vehicles, electric vehicles, and hybrid vehicles. Um, it was a, a fascinating opportunity and one that I'm not sure that I had planned or even really thought about in the, in the journey, but one that uh, was offered to me. Uh, and, you know, very quickly, it's not just the profession that we're in, in communications or marketing, it's then understanding that technology. How are you gonna make those technologies relevant to uh, the, the audience that you're trying to talk to? So how do I stay relevant? A lot of it was um, uh, talking with, interviewing, uh, meeting with the people I was working with. Um, you know, it's interesting, especially in, in that move, um, there were rocket scientists who were part of the program at General Motors working on advanced uh, vehicles, you know, fuel cells, where, where did you, you know, get that knowledge? You got it from NASA. So, um, you know, a lot of it was get absorbed into the business, um, uh, understand what's important to the leaders and to uh, the, the people who are working uh, within your own team. And then, you know, certainly doing professional development. Um, uh, while I was working at General Motors, I also did my master's my MBA, um, and, uh, um, you know, so just uh, continuing on. Because um, I went into the commercial side, so I uh, was named as the head of communications for uh, uh, Cadillac. Um, a big, big change going from um, going from the, that operation side now to um, uh, promoting products, um, working with the sales team, working with the marketing teams. And, um, again, um, a lot of reading, a lot of talking, um, working with mentors who helped me understand um, what, what lay ahead of me, um, things that I didn't maybe appreciate going into the position. Uh, I had a great uh, general manager at, uh, at General Motors at the time who um, uh, really understood the business uh, from, that, from that marketing side and so worked very closely with him and uh, uh, learned a great deal. But you know, always it's it's, you know, relying on those people around you, uh, but also doing your own uh, deep investigative work. So you said something there um, about finding, about having mentors. And one of the questions I've heard people ask somewhat frequently, especially when they're at sort of the mid-levels in their career, is how do I go about finding a mentor? So I'm just curious, you know, like, 
have you seen anything that works consistently? Is it all just, you know, like being in the right place at the right time or any advice on how you find a mentor? Well, first and foremost, look around. Um, I think, you know, someone who has some experience with you and, and, uh, has seen you in your role. Uh, I, I've, uh, found that to be really effective. I think, you know, it's possible to have a good mentor, someone who doesn't know you. Um, you know, maybe this is something they do professionally or they've done many times over, and then that takes an introduction. But, you know, really, if if you're looking for someone, uh, look around who's close to you, who's attained a, a level at least one or two uh, rungs above you, and then um, sit down by and start asking questions. Don't ask you know, for them to be your mentor right off, make sure that there's a connection that the two of you can have a conversation that you're, you know, the, the type of advice that that person would give is, is what you would respect and, um, that would impact you in some way. So, uh, I think sometimes it's the people that are right around you. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Um, so if I think about, uh, Bentley and how Bentley is, historically marketed itself, um, at least from our understanding of it, there's been a fair number of in-person events curated for you know, relatively um, a tight-knit group of attendees. Um, obviously, we're not doing a lot of in-person events this year. Um, so what has that looked like from a, you know, the standpoint of pivoting and changing <laughs> plans and you know, all of that that's been necessitated by 2020? Boy, if I use that word more now, uh, pivot than I have at any time. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but even even then, um, I think. So you're right. Uh, one thing that's very important to us at Bentley is are those activities, those events, the experiential. Our our biggest, probably most important event is the Concord d'Elegance at Pebble Beach that's held each August. Uh, with that event, uh, we host um, anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people that come through what we call the home of Bentley. So we take over a home very close to the Concours field where the cars are displayed on Sunday. But we're actually there starting Monday before. And we're there all week setting up, getting ready. And then Thursday is when you know, a lot of the crowd starts to descend on, on the Concours. And, and ev everything we do is that experience, that Bentley experience, to give them a flavor of where, where the vehicle starts from the standpoint of design. And we actually turn the house into almost a small um, factory uh, headquarters representation. We bring designers over from Crew UK. Uh, they're a part of the uh, program. And uh, you know, so all of our employees here in the US are part of that weekend. Uh, talking to customers, representing the brand. So that that experience, the, the ability to meet people is really important. When COVID hit and we realized that uh, many of our dealerships were actually needed to be closed or to work on you know, limited operation, we, we had to pivot, use the word, um, but we didn't want to lose that uh, intimate experience. How do we have... Uh, meeting, uh, uh, how do we have the opportunity to meet with people? So uh, essentially what we did is we, using um, CDC approved guidelines, we 
uh, worked with the dealers to create still events, but that were by invitation only, by RSVP only, um, clean cars all the time, destinations that felt safe where you didn't feel like you were going to have a lot of people around you, but you felt safe coming to, to that environment. And um, we called these, we called them destination drives, but basically you as a consumer come to a location and you reserve time to drive one of our new vehicles and to, to meet with a representative of the local dealership. Um, it was amazingly successful. Um, in fact, one of our most successful programs uh, the last few years, we still had the opportunity to have that very intimate uh, relationship with the, with the consumer, um, which means we, we get to shake their hand. They get to know us. We get to know them. They get the opportunity to drive uh, the brand new car. Um, and <clears throat> what was important to, to the dealer was we were bringing the vehicles from our corporate fleet. What's important about that to a dealer is that they're not putting miles on their cars. So we bring the vehicles, we bring the setup, uh, we are there for a set period of time, and then they do the invitations to either their existing customers or to uh, uh, other customers who have shown interest in, in the brand. And um, it's, it's done remarkably well. Uh, we've also been able to have some expanded format uh, dinners and things like that, where we keep the number of people who are sitting uh, around uh, very low. Um, but again, it's that intimate opportunity, that intimate event. Uh, it feels very Bentley-like. It's very appropriate for our brand. Uh, it's very luxury. Um, and it's all in uh, alignment with the CDC guidelines. So, I, you know, I think... Probably the key here is keep things simple. We, you know, you don't have to overthink these things. Get, you know, what is it you're, that you're trying to do? Stay true to your mission, to the things that you're you're designing the brand around, and then uh, try to execute it in the in the simplest way possible. Um, you know, dealers don't want to um, spend a lot on something that they don't know will be proven. And so we had a very low cost investment uh, or low investment opportunity. Uh, and as it proved itself in one location, we were able to demonstrate that to dealers and it just grew over time. And so through the summer and still today, we're running these destination drive programs and we have uh, what we call the garage dinners where we bring a vehicle, a customer would be selected to curate a table of uh, other uh, of friends uh, possibly Hopefully most are not current Bentley customers. And uh, we bring uh, a new car. Uh, we bring someone to talk about it. Everyone is wearing a mask when they come in. Uh, when, we, when we sit down for dinner, uh, we have appropriate spacing. Uh, but then when we get back up, masks back on and, and uh, it all works very well. And I think you know, in that idea of keeping it simple, people are looking for an opportunity to get out. They're really, there's a huge amount of cabin fever. Uh, people are looking for opportunities. And if you can provide that opportunity and it's safe, they will come. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely true. And it's really interesting. A lot of the people listening represent brands where, you know, scale is, you know, the only word that matters, right? Whereas you're talking about a very targeted approach, obviously, with a very targeted consumer or customer. 
Um, and I also, it's amazing how naturally in the first 10 minutes of this conversation, you took us from the shop floor in Michigan to the Concord elegance in Pebble Beach as if it was completely natural that the same person would be in both of those places. <laughs> um, what an experience. So, but that does actually relate to a question though, which is, um, you know, Bentley is a brand that appeals and is aspirational to so many people who would never be, you know, potentially customers of the brand and yet admire the brand, aspire to the brand. Um, but I'm curious, how do you balance uh, building that aspirational brand for everybody, right, that, that, that everybody aspires to, um, without losing the appeal or while still appealing to your core customer? Well, you know, we certainly have, uh, we stretch our budget, let's put it that way. Uh, we, 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 we sell to some of the wealthiest uh, consumers in the world, and yet as a, you know, as a brand, we have uh, limited budgets. Uh, on the autom you know, in automotive, uh, automotive is known for having big budgets in, in, the, in, the, big, in the big name brands. Uh, the farther up the pyramid you go toward the luxury space, the smaller the budgets are. Uh, the higher volume brands um, have, have much bigger budgets. So we do stretch it. To, to get to your very specific question, though, is I believe our customers appreciate when others appreciate what it is they're buying. There's, you know, use this example. I've used it many times with people is there's two ways someone can ask a customer or a owner a question. Why did you buy that car? Or why did you buy that car? And if you're getting the second, that, that will put you on your heels. People, you know, psychologically, people will go to the safe, to the safe place, uh, the safe purchase, the safe, uh, in this case, car. Um, we want Bentley to stand out as the ultimate, that, that when someone, it's an extraordinary vehicle, it's an extraordinary experience, and even if you can't afford it, even if you've never driven in it, you appreciate it. And so you're always going to ask that question, what do you love about this car? You know, that's, that's the experience that a customer wants to have as well. Well, I love that distinction. You know, I, I use the word of aspiring, but you, um, transi you know, transferred us to appreciating. And I love that distinction. Um, while you're the commun chief communications officer. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, Bentley introduced its first ever SUV under your watch, probably shortly after you joined. Is that right? That's right. That's and right. I, I would imagine there was probably some internal hand-wringing and discussion about, you know, moving into the SUV market. Um, I'm curious what that was like from a communication standpoint. Was it, was it ordained and everybody knew it was going to be a success or was there some of that hand wringing? Uh, no, I don't think there was hand wringing at all. It was uh, pure excitement. I mean, look, if you look at the, uh, at the trends within the automotive space, it doesn't matter what segment you're looking at. SUVs are taking over uh, the space. I mean, I think they're, Industry-wide, I think we're somewhere around 70% of the market is now uh, in the truck space. So SUVs, CUVs, uh, pickup trucks, if you, if you include all of them. But uh, SUVs in particular uh, are the new sedan. Uh, 
and you've even seen companies make uh, announcements that they're discontinuing their sedan lines uh, in favor of, of smaller, uh, you know, the CUVs and, and SUVs. So um, one was real confidence that there was an opportunity here. Um, we were also the first into that space in the luxury space. So, you know, who had been there before us? Range Rover, which, you know, we would, we would consider more of a premium uh, vehicle. No disrespect at all. Uh, they've done a great job uh, with the product uh, that they have. Uh, and w- as we looked at the garages of our customers, uh, here's a Bentley. Uh, many of our customers have other luxury cars in there as well. And then there would be an SUV. And that SUV might be Cadillac Escalade. It might be a, a G-Wagon. It might be a Range Rover. There was space in, in uh, the luxury uh, space to have a ben, uh, Bentley and the Bentley Bentayga in your garage next to your Bentley and, and to your uh, other vehicles. So we had a high confidence that there was an opportunity there for us. So something you just said there was as we looked in our customer's garage. So is that a literal statement? Like from market research, do you go look at customer's garages or what do you do when it comes to you know, market research data and understanding your customer? Well, we weren't stalking. I, I can promise you that. Um, but uh, yes, we do. We do talk to our customers. Uh, so, for instance, uh, one tool we have is <clears throat> the Volkswagen Group uh, globally does a luxury vehicle study. And so, for our luxury brands within the group, uh, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini, um, uh, we get a opportunity to sit down with the customers. We also pull in customers from competitive brands to really understand. The, what they appreciate about the vehicles, what they're looking for in those vehicles. So yes, we do that every other year. And that uh, has heavily influenced um, our decisions. It heavily influenced our decision to go into the SUV market. It heavily influences the future design of each of our cars. And it's heavily influencing you know, the future that we're looking at today, which is electric mobility. You know, We've announced uh, recently that uh, Bentley will be uh, all electric vehicles by 2030. So it's that understanding not only of the trends that are happening uh, industry-wide, but also how our customers thinking and uh, what uh, actions and activities do we have to take in order for them to be prepared for something like 2030, the only Bentley that you'll be able to buy is an electric Bentley. Wow. Um, So does that relate to the Beyond 100 program then? Exactly. So last year, 2019, we celebrated our centenary, 100 years. It uh, was a big year for us. And, and I've been through uh, events like this with a number of brands. Uh, typically, there is a lot of backward looking when you turn 100. You look back at the history, you look at, you bring out the old cars, uh, you, you reach out to the customers who have been with you for a very long time. And I think the important part is to look forward. And, and how relevant are you going to be? Now that you're 100 and everyone aspires to bring in younger customers, how are you going to be relevant to those younger customers? So beyond 100 is, in fact, uh, our definition of where uh, Bentley Motors is going in the future. It is impacting um, how we will design vehicles. It is impacting the technology that will be in the vehicles. It is, it is dictating uh, how our vehicles will perform. 
That's great. Um, part of the future, you know, the, the changing demographic of America in particular, but certainly the world. Um, big topic of conversation in America today, as well as in the communications industry. You know, Bentley is a brand that, to your, you know, coin your turn of phrase, is appreciated you know, by people of all backgrounds. Your dealerships are, of course, located in less diverse areas in many cases. How have you tackled this sort of this call to greater inclusivity, um, greater diversity and equity uh, this year? First and foremost, we start inside the brand. We start inside the company. Um, there's, we're not going to run a campaign uh, so that we say, you know, look what we're doing. The very first thing you have to do is work inside your own company because if it's not credible there, it will never be credible outside. So um, we've started a conversation within the small team that we are here in the Americas. So there's, there's 40 people on the team, on the Bentley team in the Americas. So just within that group, we are having the conversation of what does diversity and inclusion mean? What are the current challenges we have? Uh, what are our opportunities um, when we're looking at hiring, uh, but also uh, including people on the team in the conversations that, that are going to uh, determine the future of, of the brand? I know that uh, they're having these very same conversations at our headquarters in Crew UK, um, and and in most of, and I believe in all of our. Uh, uh, headquarter locations around the world. So um, everyone is addressing this, but it means, you know, it's, it's different challenges for, for each area, but for us, it is starting inside. Mm -hmm. So you are chief communications and marketing officer. So those 40 people are primarily, do they fit in one of those buckets? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, the, the team is uh, eight, eight, on the marketing communications team. Uh, and then the entire team is kind of 50-50 between headquarters and field uh, uh, representatives. So we've got you know regional uh, directors who are out there working with the dealers every day. We have uh, after sales managers who are out there working with dealers every day. And then in the headquarters, uh, you know, the kind of the traditional jobs, sales, marketing, uh, after sales, finance, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, and our, our president and CEO. So, you know, industry-wide, one of the big uh, tensions, I guess, has been the greater uh, measurability of activities that are traditionally you know, marketing activities versus traditionally communications activities. So how do you think about uh, measuring communications in particular? This has been uh, an ongoing uh, quest uh, that I, you know, I take back to my early days when I was working at General Motors. And it was a uh, uh, very important element of measuring uh, communications contribution to the bottom line, uh, to the extent that we could measure to the bottom line. It's a very difficult thing to do. And so uh, I think it's very important that when you're working inside an organization, that there's, there's a clear agreement between you and the uh, CEO or the president or whatever your highest ranking executive is in the in the operation that you're working in of what is the best articulation of your of your goal what is communications contribution and then an agreement of what is it we should be measuring so you know i started in a day when you know someone would drop the clips on the desk uh at seven o'clock in the morning and you know the thud factor uh, was uh, the measure of success in, in pr 
And, and today it is very analytical. Um, it is, uh, there's so much data uh, that you can pull out of what you're doing in communications. It is, I think, um, valuable for communications and marketing to be working together because some of the very measures that marketing claims are influenced by earned media, by the things that we're doing on the, uh, on the communication side. So uh, I wish there was one set answer on what that measure is. I think the measure is different for each activity that you're doing uh, because your goals uh, for that activity are going to be different potentially each time. And so um, it does take that, um, the, the rigor is in having the conversations before you ever start. So uh, one final question here, because I know we're, we're coming up on our time, but you mentioned earlier, you yourself have gotten your MBA. You talked about the importance of getting to know the business, things like that. Um, you've also taken us through in a short period of time here, a lot of transformation in your own career and the different roles you've had and things like that. There's a lot of people that, because of the effects of 2020, are looking for a new job. Um, so what advice would you give people in terms of how to make themselves more hireable for the jobs of 2021 and the future? Um, be curious. Uh, go outside of your area. Uh, look at what's going on. I, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, uh, sitting down with a, uh, an acquaintance that I had made uh, several years ago. Uh, we reconnected, and uh, over time, we would get together occasionally. Um, and he, he looked at me and said, Jeff, get into Bitcoin. Do it now. Learn everything you can about Bitcoin in, in, and blockchain. That is going to be the future. And, and I think that, you know, it's having that curiosity um, to, and, having, and being brave enough to go out and look in areas that you're not in today. But if you, if you were to, that two years ago, look at blockchain, try to understand what its application might be to uh, your, your current business, to your function, uh, that's where the conversations are, are going to go in the future. So it's, it's being curious, being brave enough to step out. It's then having that willingness to put things aside that are a distraction to that process, right? You know, we, we, you, there's articles and, and, and pages of literature about, uh, about how you spend your time. There's all kinds of uh, every day on TikTok and Instagram, uh, you know, the habits of the wealthy and the, and, and the habits of the next CEO. Um, there's some truth to that, uh, but really, what's your passion? Um, what is it going to take to um, allow that passion to emerge? And you've got to be willing to say no to those things that get in your way. Well, I think that is a great place to end what's been a really stimulating conversation. I think our readers and listeners are going to find this really valuable, Jeff. So thank you for giving us your time and your insights here today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, Paul. Great discussion. All right, here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Jeffrey Kuhlman. Number one, if you're looking for a mentor, don't look too far. The best mentor is probably someone you're already working with or for. This person will be familiar with your work and be senior enough to give you some insight into what you'll face as you ascend the ladder and ideally a push from behind if you need it. Start just by hanging around and asking questions. If the connection is there, then and only then inquire about the prospect for being mentored. Number two, 
You can still have events safely during a pandemic if you follow health guidelines. As a brand that highly emphasized in-person events as a key marketing channel, Bentley needed to find a way to keep bringing customers and prospects together with its cars and people face-to-face. They found it in the form of very limited contact get-togethers with small numbers of people where effective social distancing was observed along with effective exposure to the brand and its vehicles. Number three, Addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion starts as an inside job. If your brand isn't working to be more fair and just with its own employees, it won't be perceived as credible by those outside of the company. For Jeff, this starts with discussing what diversity and inclusion mean to your team members and identifying the current challenges and opportunities there as a starting point. Number four, to craft the professional future you want, stay curious and close to your passion. Jeff's career with General Motors really took off when he was challenged to master advanced automotive technology. That showed him the value of learning and staying interested and curious. Later on, when he returned to the U.S. from Japan, he was motivated in part by a passion to return to a more boots-on-the-ground mode of working than he was getting as global head of communications for Nissan. Number five, if your brand is celebrating a major anniversary, focus as much or more on the future as you do the past. For Bentley's Beyond 100 initiative, marking a century of existence, the brand naturally looked back at its legendary designs, but also emphasized what it was doing to attract tomorrow's buyer. One result was the determination to go all electric by 2030. Anyway, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.